Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. We have a wonderfully supportive and encouraging Patreon community. Sarah, Lauren, Dave, Steve, Mark, Sheila, and Tom, I thank the world of you all, and I thank our God every time I remember you. If you are a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and we are back after a break. Thanks, global pandemic and all the kids learning from home and all of us working from home and all the things. Um, We are finally back to finish season five. Today, our guest preacher is Christine Fox Parker, who shares with us a beautiful word from the book of Hosea. It's about faithfulness and going astray and the God who keeps wooing us back and loving us no matter what. Afterwards, stick around to hear our conversation, which was recorded in August of 2020, but still so relevant. And now let's hear a word. As a child, I loved fairy tales. When I grew older, I learned the originals were nowhere near as sweet as the little golden book versions I knew. I learned the origin of those sweet little fairy tales in high school when I was given a book beautifully bound and illustrated a copy of Grimm's fairy tales. Written by two Grimm brothers, they were garishly dark, chilling, and haunting. For example, in the story of the wolf and seven young goats, a big bad wolf tricks young goats into letting him into their home by pretending to be their mother. He then quickly gobbles them up, but upon the mother goat's return, she slices open the belly of the big bad wolf, frees her babies, then fills his belly with stones so that when he goes to the river to drink and quench his thirst, he sinks to his death. The book of Hosea reads like a fairy tale. It's garishly dark, chilling, and haunting. Yet there is a beauty that underlies it all, an enchanting love story. Written during the final years before Israel's exile, God pleads with Israel to turn back from their idolatrous ways, to turn back to Yahweh, the only true God. Hosea 1 reads, The word of the Lord which came to Hosea the son of Beeri during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife of prostitution and have children of prostitution, for the land commits flagrant prostitution, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, and deliver them by the Lord their God. And I will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Rum-Hamah, she conceived and gave birth to another son. 
And the Lord said, Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Garishly dark, chilling, haunting, not the fairy tales of our childhoods. Yet this is the fairy tale family God has willed for God's prophet and son, Hosea. A prostitute for a wife and mother, a son named after an ancient massacre, whose name Jezreel also means God will sow, and is a pun with the word Yisrael, meaning God will scatter. A daughter named Lo Ruhamach, no compassion, also a play on words with Rahmach, the word for womb. And a third son, Loami, not my people. Hosea's fairy tale family becomes a metaphor for the ways in which the Israelites have treated God and God's response. Chapter 2 opens with instructions for the children to confront their mother for her sin. Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. And let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, or I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land, and slay her with thirst. Can you imagine sending your own children to say such things to an adulterous parent? Contend with your mother, contend. Let her put away her false lovers, or I will have no mercy for her or for her children. I will slay her with her thirst. The prophet Hosea writes of how the mother cheated on the children's father and warns that the father will strip the mother naked and leave her exposed if she fails to repent of her adulterous ways. And more than that, no compassion will be had for the children. Garishly dark and chilling, haunting. And yet, something beautiful is happening underneath this chilling darkness. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. And she will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. These children of prostitution are told that even as their mother pursues her lovers, she won't overtake them because the Lord their God has put up a hedge along her way, albeit a hedge of thorns, but a hedge nonetheless. God has walled her paths so that she can run but can't hide from God. She can seek her false lovers but never find fulfillment with them until she realizes that God, Yahweh, is the only good lover. For she does not know, God continues, that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine and the new oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they, 
used for Baal. What the mother doesn't know, God tells the children, is that it was God who provided for all her needs while she chased her false lovers. The grain, the wine, the oil, the silver, the gold, which they sacrificed to false gods, were lavished upon them by the adulteress's husband, God. And so the first echoes of garish darkness fall away. Still, God says, she will be punished for her unfaithfulness. Therefore, I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season, and I will also take away my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness, and then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. Even in the sight of her lovers, the days of her adultery will be put into an end. No compassion for she who has become not God's people. But then, oh, then something beautiful happens. A twist, an unexpected turn, a glorious and enchanting salvation. Just like the mother goat saves her babies, God says, God will allure his bride, who has gone afar off after all her lovers, chasing them with God's own gold and silver, new wine and oil. Chapter 2, verse 14 reads, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. God loves his bride so deeply, so richly, so heavenly, that even the one called not my people and no compassion are worthy of God's alluring efforts. And for the rest of chapter 2, God, through prophet Hosea, tells of what it will be like when Israel returns and God and Israel are finally betrothed forever in faithfulness. The perfectly happy ending to our perfect fairy tale. But, as with all fairy tales, there is a lesson to be learned. Even as God waxes luxuriously in the delights of a future with God's bridegroom, God knows the story is not over yet. God knows the tribulation of Israel's choice has not yet been won. And so we come to chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, You shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will remain many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Do you feel the drop, the slump in the shoulders and the heavy sighs as the drama unfolds? God has just drawn us a delightful portrait of the fairy tale family in glorious and faithful reunion only to turn and remember his bride still runs fast between the hedge of thorns casting God's own gold at the feet of idols. God knows what must be done. Go, God says, take your wife again, live with her for a time. 
without the deepest intimacies of marriage. I will do the same with Israel. Only the silence of God, of Yahweh, who called the Israelites his own, and now will have no mercy upon them, will bring the people of Israel back to God, trembling, some translations say in awe, to God's goodness. As I read this fairy tale, I want to shout out to Gomer, go back, you're headed the wrong way. Interestingly, this is exactly what Hosea does. The first verses of chapters 4, 5, and 6 respectively read, Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. Hear this, O priests. Give heed, O house of Israel. Listen, O house of the king, for the judgment applies to you. Come, let us return to the Lord. Listen, hear, heed, come. But the people do not. And God's heart breaks. How can I give you up? God asks. How can I surrender you? And in chapter 11, God says, My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. God doesn't want to send his bride away or leave God's people without a king or kingdom, never mind their idolatry and adultery. God's love and compassion has not faltered. God remains steadfast in covenant. But chapter 3... God knows the people. They continue to run after their lovers. They refuse God's steadfast loving kindness, God's protection and provision, until God has allowed them to run after and be seemingly without God, stripped and naked in the wilderness. Not God's people without compassion. So Hosea must go and marry the harlot again. Here our fairy tale ends in silence. Israel, her choice made, is lost. But the story of Gomer does not end there. It picks up again on a quiet night, after 400 years of quieter silence, when God is born on earth. Remember back in chapter 3 when God said the separation would last many days? God did not say it would last forever. Gomer is once for all redeemed when Jesus is born Emmanuel. When Jesus walks the earth among God's chosen people, when Gomer's creator dies a rebel death on a high cross and lives again as the temple of God risen after three days, then the sin of Gomer, of Israel, is recompensed and both live again a new life, a life outside of, a life after the death of Israel. This new life Gomer and Israel live with a God born as man, died, and resurrected to God's throne again, this grandest of all fairy tales, now breaks open and brings into its kingdom all who would listen, hear, heed, and come. And this is where Gomer's fairy tale becomes my fairy tale, my story of God alluring me always providing and protecting as I have chased false lovers of my death in Christ and my new life risen with the king. I am Gomer, chasing after false gods, adulterating myself to idols of safety, comfort, and making a name for myself, chasing and chasing these ever-elusive golden statues, raging at Yahweh for God's absence and lack of provision left in wilderness after wilderness, 
only to turn and call God Ishi, husband. As I realized it was God's protection and provision that I threw at my idols all along. Only upon my return to Yahweh did I find the one true God. Only then did I find the fairy tales of my childhood, the ones that, though not bereft of garish darkness, always end happily ever after. Listen, hear, heed, come. This is the message of Hosea the prophet. It's the message of Hosea for all of us, for the body of Christ universal, because Gomer's story is not just that of Israel or of me, but of us all, individually and collectively. We're all chasing false idols, false gods. Safety, comfort, a name for myself, those are my false gods. They are also the false gods of the American church, of American Christianity. Yet safety and comfort and a name for ourselves are antithetical to loving mercy, doing justice, and walking humbly with God. They are antithetical to loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's no wonder, then, that when I chase my false gods, that no matter how much God loves me, regardless of God's desires to never forget how I felt in the womb as I was carefully crafted in divine image, God can't forget chapter 3, that for a time when I fail to listen, hear, heed, and come, I must be stripped naked in the wilderness. Yet God always allures me. I always return home loving God, my first husband, far more than I ever thought possible. So it is with the American church and American Christianity at large. Where we seek safety, comfort, and a name for ourselves, we chase false gods. When we fail to love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with God, when we marginalize and abuse individuals and groups because they threaten our comfort and safety, we fail to love mercy and do justice. When we center the marginalized and abused without decentering the powerful, we fail to walk humbly with God. Only when every human person and group is seen by all believers as a wondrously crafted child of God. Will the American church and its members have listened, heard, heeded the call of Hosea to come to Yahweh? Let us listen, hear, and heed the prophecy of Hosea. Let us stand in the gloriously happy ending of Gomer's story, of this haunting and enchanting and garish fairy tale in full and intimate covenant relationship with God and all God's children. May the universal body of Christ also listen, hear, heed, and come. And may we all stand as one in the everlasting, steadfast, loving kindness of our Lord and Savior. And may we all live happily ever after. Amen. Christine, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for sharing a beautiful word from the book of Hosea. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored by your invitation. Before we jump in and start talking about the sermon, um, why don't you tell us more about who you are, where you are, what you do, um, any, anything that you want to share? Okay. Um, I am 
Christine Fox Parker, as you mentioned. I live in Nashville with my wonderful husband of one year, uh, two grown sons. I, um, a couple of years ago, founded a nonprofit ministry called Port Swing Ministries Incorporated to serve the needs of survivors of all forms of church abuse. I myself am a survivor of emotional, psychological, um, narcissistic abuse in a past marriage and also then in the aftermath of disclosure by church leaders where my former husband was a minister. In the aftermath of that abuse, I began getting calls and emails and text messages about a year after that started, which was five or six years ago now, from ministers that I knew around the country and even around the world saying, hey, I'm hearing from different people that, that you may have gone through some things. Can you help me help this person in my congregation? Or can you help us as leaders be better at leading with these specific abuse issues? And church abuse, come, it, it comes in so many forms. We typically think, uh, we hear church abuse and we think sex abuse. We think yep. the Catholic church and the scandals there and Southern Baptist Church and the, the sex scandals there. And that's, that's a huge component. Along with sex abuse, always there's spiritual abuse. There are also a number of, oh gosh, a, a number of is too small of a statement. There are thousands of cases of sex abuse between a, a pastor and an adult member. Um, and because of the power differential, there there cannot be consent. You can't have consensual sex between a, a pastor and an adult member. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's called clergy sex abuse. But then there's also a very large um, category, a number of categories of church abuse, like spiritual abuse, um, marginal. Of like LGBTQ, and gender discrimination, uh, racial discrimination, and and so many others that that fall under the umbrella of 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 church. So I, after after years, spending more and more time fielding emails and fielding phone calls, talking to survivors themselves, I needed a way to to structure this work because I was also full-time employed as a marriage and family therapist um, and I was a single mom. Um, So with the help of some really brilliant friends um, and gracious friends, I set up this nonprofit, Port Swing Ministries, so titled because my favorite place in the world has for many, many years been my front porch. Um, The mission of Port Swing Ministries is primarily to provide survivor care. We, we don't charge anything to survivors who call us um, or email us. We have a blog um, that I write for and that now I have just brought in a partner who is a survivor and is ready to also begin caring for survivors. Um, her name is Michelle Moore and she's marvelous. And the goal is ultimately to, to have a cadre of healing survivors 
bringing healing to more and more survivors. And that's, that's where we're at right now. We also, thank you. Um, it's just, it's all of God. Um, the secondary mission is to help churches and church leaders and Christian institutions learn how to care for survivors of any kind of abuse and stop abuse. The abuse that happens by church leaders is unintentional and only comes out of not knowing, not understanding the things that we do in our institutions that are harmful to, to all sorts of people. Um, and especially survivors. So I did training and teaching. Um, I have to edit that because I just, are you, am I back? You got me, okay. So my experience of most church leaders that I've spoken with is they want to serve well. They want to minister and care for survivors well. They just don't know how to, because yeah. they've never been taught. And so, um, once, once they begin hearing how to care for trauma victims, which is what abuse survivors are, um, and how to help them come alongside them in healing, they're very open and receptive and willing to make those changes. The preventive work that I focus on is how do you care well for people who are, how do you not re-traumatize? Mm. How do you care for people? Because we all have trauma. Every human being has trauma. So if we talk about how to make church safer for, for trauma, for church abuse survivors, we're talking about how to make church safer for everyone. Mm. For instance, um, when a person has been traumatized at church, going back to church, it can be physically painful. And you take a church that wants to be seeker friendly and new member friendly and new and visitor friendly. And the idea that is, has been for a long time that to do that, the minute a new person or an unfamiliar face walks through the door, the response is to go quickly to them, shake their hand, and, and, and it's a good intention but it's very touchy, touchy and intrusive to introverts um, who are visiting, but it's that much more. It's traumatic to somebody who, who has PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from the abuse they received, maybe even at a different church, mm-hmm. who just is dipping their toe back in the pool. It's yeah. like throwing them into a pot of boiling water. It's incredibly well-intended and loving on the part of the greeters who are trained to do that, but not trauma-informed. So a trauma-informed approach to greeters at church, which are important, would be for the greeter to stand at near the doorway, wherever you want to have them stand, and let people come to them. Make it clear that they're there to be welcoming, but let people come to them not to reach out a hand, but to wait and let visitors and others who are coming that you're not familiar with reach their own hand out. Mm. Because a lot of abuse survivors, whether it's sexual, physical abuse or not, don't want to be touched by people they don't know. Mm -hmm. 
So it's things like that 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 people kind of go, oh, I've never thought of that before. But it makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. But none of us can can learn things, can know things we haven't been taught. So that's kind of, that's where I do my best work in terms of preventing the re-traumatization because there's, none of us can specialize in everything. Yeah. So I really kind of keep my focus narrower. And there's a lot more to, to what I do in terms of um, creating safer spaces in church and, and Christian institutions, that, but that's just an easy kind of low-hanging fruit. Um, in terms of preventing sexual um, predation, sexual abuse, there are much more qualified people out there doing that than, than porch swing. Well, it sounds like the work that you're doing is is crucial and delicate and probably pretty difficult emotionally. Um, it, yeah, it can be. <laughs> so thank you. God brought it to my doorstep. It's also very healing. Good. For me Good. personally. Well, let's let's shift gears and talk about this sermon. Um, I love how you use the metaphor of a fairy tale, um, and, and you, you, you brought it all throughout the sermon, but, you know, talking about, um, fairy tales, you know, kind of what they were when we were kids. And then as you get older and you realize just actually they're, they're darker than, than we thought, you know, and this whole like happily ever after maybe, but there's still like, there's some pretty dark, creepy stuff that happens in these classic fairy tales. And, and and you said you know that this um, in the book of Hosea that we read you know the fairy tale that God has chosen for God's people and um, and that there there's always a lesson to be learned and there's you know there's kind of there's the setup and then there's the twist and and you know the twist is that God is going to go after Israel like you know despite all the unfaithfulness that God is going to keep pursuing um, but that doesn't that everything isn't automatically wiped away, right? Like there is, there is a wilderness and a required stripping away of, of the other idols, the other things that, that Israel has been turning to or that we have been turning to. Um, and I just thought it was, it was such a beautiful um, way to think about this um, and to really, um, to, to, to live in the text and in our world. Um, and I don't know if, if before all of this, if you had already had a sense of, of safety and comfort and making a name for yourself, being your own um, idols that you struggle with, um, or if it just kind of came out through this sermon. But I love that symmetry of those three and then how those are antithetical to the mercy, justice, and walking humbly with God. Um, so I guess um, underneath all that, back, you know, behind, no. After all of that, after I've said all of that, um, can you share more with us about how this sermon has been working on you? I mean, I kind of have a sense that this has this is a sermon that you've been that has been working on you for much longer than you've been planning to preach it on this podcast, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, share um, more about that. It was probably. Summer of 2017. Yeah, it was 2017. I, I was so fortunate. I had a, 
was living in West Virginia at the time um, and living in a duplex. It was the last summer my youngest son was, was at home. And I had the fortunate blessing of the way my work schedule was. I didn't go in until 10. I worked 10 to 6, um, seeing clients um, four days a week. And But my body was waking up at 5 a.m. And it was one of the most rested years of my life. Hmm. And I would go out on my front porch and, and spend two or three hours with God. And I was reading in the prophets. And I fell in love with the prophets in a way I had, I never really liked. I don't like poetry. I'll be honest. I love Shel Silverstein, but uh, Shakespeare is not my stick. I don't, I don't like poetry. But as I was, so I'd never really spent a lot of time in the prophets unless someone made me. <laughs> and then I just kind of, okay, whatever. But as I read, I read Jeremiah, I read, um, Zechariah, and the, the image in Zechariah, I think chapter three of Joshua being accused by Satan dressed in filthy robes. And God says, no, I'm sorry, this one's mine. Get those dirty clothes off of him, put clean clothes on him, put a clean turban on him. And just all the imagery. And, and then, you know, and they're talking about the exile and the relationship between Israel and um, and God and Israel's faithlessness and then reading Jeremiah and how Jeremiah kept saying to the people, if you would just stop, God will not send you to exile. And then they beat him up for it. Um, and just over and over and thinking how many times um, as one with a prophetic voice, I would speak truth and people would beat me up for it. I never, you know, got scraped with touchers like, Jeremiah did. I'm thankful for that. But then I came to Hosea and I read the first two chapters. And I, you know, I'd read books about Hosea in the past and I read some things about it. it's a love story. It's about, but it struck me so deeply in a way I had never, just the first two chapters, how God. You know, we I'd heard about the hedges going for, but the purpose of it, Jen, the reason God put that hedge around her, it wasn't all the way around her, it was just on the side. So she could not get away from him. Gomer could run after those idols, after, with her false lovers, all she wanted, but she would remain on a certain path where God was in, behind her and she could not ever be fulfilled by those false lovers. And then he says, <laughs> all that stuff you have, the, the, the food and, and that you eat and the gold and silver you give to the false gods, I'm giving that to you. That's all coming from you. You think your new husband, you think your false lovers are giving you the gold and wine and feeding you, but it's all coming through me. Mm. I mean, astounding. So that started percolating then about three years ago, a little over three years ago. And um, I was asked, and I just kept kind of sharing that message. I wrote a couple of, I wrote a blog post. I had at that time a website called christinefoxparker.com that I wrote on, I've since brought all of that over into Port Swing Ministries. And I started Port Swing Ministries and I revised that 
posts for there about those first two chapters. And it just, it just stayed with me. Just, you know, the beauty of what God had done there. While not, you know, part of beauty requires a stripping of the ugly. You know, the, the, the uh, burning off the dross, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, and so that, that's still there. Israel still has to become, in order to remain beautiful, Israel has stopped doing the ugly, the sin, the adultery. Yeah. That's all in there. And so I was in a course back in February um, where I, I was required to preach a sermon for the course. And I went, um, one of the uh, texts we were allowed to choose from was Hosea 3. So I jumped at it. It was the first part of chapter three, which I used in this sermon. And it, that just brought out the next bit. And as I was reading and thinking again, that's when the fairy tale came to mind and the, the gruesome, dark, garishness of it. And it just kept percolating and percolating. And, and, um, and then as I sat down with it, um, with your invitation, um, I, I, I knew it needed to go. I knew there was more there. Um, there was, I, I hadn't gotten to the piece about um, justice. And, mm. um, you know, we, it, this was last February, so COVID hadn't happened. Um, the uh, revival of racial justice um, hadn't happened yet. Um, and, and, and I knew there was a piece there that I hadn't gotten to when I took the course in February, and I really wanted to get to that. And so I just did, did what when things are really good <laughs> that come from me, what I do, which is to invite the Holy Spirit back into it and to fill me. And I sat down Sunday um, and really, really did that. I talked a little bit with my um, son in Memphis, who's in seminary, who is brilliant with the language. Um, uh, and he revealed to me the bits about the puns yeah. that I didn't know before in the name. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, just, and it just, it just was, I mean, God just gave it to me. And I always have been of the nature to include my own self as part of the work that I do, whether it's preaching or chit-chatting or writing, because I think it's, I find it to be very honest Mm -hmm. when, you know, if I'm going to be prophetic, I need to walk the prophet's path. So it was very natural for me to say, okay, so what are my what are my false idols? And they came immediately. <laughs> I spent years trying to make a name for myself. I spent, you know, safety and comfort. I mean, I just I like to have a lot of time off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? There's nothing wrong with those things. <laughs> right. Um, but it's not my job. I, I in my third I raged with God until I heard God say, it's not your job to make a name for yourself. Mm. It's your job to follow me where, where I take you. So that one was easy. And I still struggle. We all struggle with that. We all want to be known. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of being known where God wants you known. Yeah. And then, and so then when I looked at what's going on in America, in American Christianity and American churches, 
not all of them, many of them, the ones that are not, the, the parallel to me was obvious. I've been in enough of them. I've, I've heard enough survivor stories to know that at least to some extent, that parallel of uh, that the struggles are the same. Um, we, when churches and, and American Christianity seek comfort, safety, and um, making a name for ourselves, making a name for ourselves, that is a, those are three sicknesses in our church culture mm-hmm. that are rampant right now. And when we do that, then we fail to love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with. God. I mean, that just seemed so obvious to me. And to fit in with that, that story of Hosea. Yeah. Well, I thank you for, um, for sitting with it, um, for staying in that tension and for um, inviting the spirit back in to do more work on you um, with this text and with what's going on in our world. Um, when it would have been pretty easy for you to just, just preach a, preach a sermon as, as it was before. Um, but I, yeah, I commend you and thank you. That would have been easy for me. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I, I guess yeah. I just mean, you know, no, it's I, already I know. done. I pulled the paper out, but that's just not, uh, uh, yeah. God does not let me do that. Sometimes I wish he would. <laughs> but I'm always so grateful on the other side. Yeah. Always so grateful for the work God is doing in us. So thank yeah. you, Jen. Thank you for the very important work you do. Well, thank you. It's a gift. And maybe one day I'll get to swing on your porch swing with you. Yeah. You know, I've never actually owned a porch swing. I, I, I want to someday. Oh, you just, it's just a chair, huh? Yeah, I have chairs and I have a glider, um, but never a porch swing actually. But I like the um, the cadence of porch swing ministries much more than front porch ministries or porch. Yeah, porch yeah. swing just—it's beautiful. So, yeah, someday I'll have a porch swing, but not yet. <laughs> well, I hope that day will come soon for you, okay. and I hope we will hear from you on the podcast again soon. Okay. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. And blessing on your ministry. If today you find yourself on the outside without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.